You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wine, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have uh, one of my favorite writers on the show. And, you know, uh, over the course of the seven years or so that we've done the show, we have gotten to build some great working relationships with uh, with some fantastic writers. And, you know, when I looked at the calendar and realized that it was time for a new Brad Parks book uh, to come out, you know, I automatically get excited because Brad's one of my favorite writers. But he's also one of those people that I just genuinely love to talk to every year. And uh, as always with Brad Parks books, he has upped the ante and completely changed the game on us one more time. Uh, Unthinkable is the new book. It's out everywhere now when you're hearing this. And this if this doesn't break your brain, um, then, I, you know, I don't know how you're living your life. Um, but unthinkable and amazing, amazing book that you must go out and grab. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Yeah, Hank, I, as, as you're recounting our many years together, which I have also enjoyed, I can't help but think the opposite, which is that you just you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> I mean, how many how many times have we done this? And like you I, keep coming back for more. It's, I know. It's, I, I think this is 18 now or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it, only, it only feels that way, I'm sure. <laughs> But thank you for the kind words about the book. I'm, oh, I'm really excited that, that, that people can can go out and see this this book because you know it, it the, this process, as you know, you know it's it's a long process, and sure. I'm an incredibly impatient person, right? So like the 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 twist that I'm really excited about in this book was something I came up with probably a year and a half ago. And I've had to wait a year and a half for my readers to actually finally be able to get their hands on this thing. And I've, I've, I've been so excited. I'll like, oh, wait until you see this one. And um, so it's it's great that the that it is finally, yes, now out in the wild, as we say. It, isn't that the worst, you know, when, <laughs> when you have such a great hook like this and, and it's a strong enough hook that you could build, you know, an entire novel around it and, and, and it absolutely works and it's one of those you know that there are there are um cheap hooks that that is it's, it's a gimmick you know and you can really only pull that you know once in in a lifetime with your readers and sometimes they're fantastic but you just can't duplicate that but then there's the kind of hook that that you leave the reader going oh that brad parks man <laughs> what he did this time um you know, we, we've talked in the past about your unique um, writing um, uh, habit, and and we we talked about your favorite Hardys that that mm. you would go and write at. Well, last year when we talked, you know, COVID had just kind of taken the world by storm, and and you had to change up the you know your your daily writing ritual. Now, as we're coming out of that now, and um, you know, Delta variants aside. Uh, and the world is, you know, kind of waking back up and, and getting back to normal in a lot of ways. Um, I, I know you said that that you've had the uh, the idea for um, 
for unthinkable for about a year and a half. But what has your how had how did the writing of this book um, change from what you're used to? So I mostly wrote this before the pandemic, uh, you know, with the with the lead times and whatnot. Uh, it, it, and and my my own schedule that it just sort of worked out that way. I did some of the editing during the pandemic, um, you know, which which was interesting because, of course, uh, for those who don't know, the, the premise of the book is essentially this ordinary stay at home dad, this normal guy is approached by a shadowy secret society and told that either a billion people will die or he has to kill his own wife. Uh, and we can we can get into the mechanics of how that is actually made to be realistic. But, uh, you know, here I have this man uh, contemplating uh, killing his wife. And, uh, you know, I was editing it early in the pandemic when we were all suddenly stay at home parents to everyone. And weren't we all considering, you know, killing members of our families at various points <laughs> uh, just from being in such close quarters? So there was a lot about this. I was I was bringing some real stuff to this. Uh, although, as I as I say in the acknowledgments of this book, like I I actually learned, if anything, how much I love my family, because, yes, after a year and whatever of being really cooped up with them, we're all still alive. Right. No one has been thrown out a window. Uh, no one, in fact, died. So uh, that that's certainly a, uh, a good sign uh, for, for the Parks family. Well, the 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 sad thing is when you start realizing that that, you know, you could. Um, you could do horrible things to your family then you start looking over your shoulder and you start wondering well what are are they thinking the same thing about me? <laughs> exactly <laughs> what are they gonna do to me yeah so this starts with a man thinking he's gonna have to kill his wife but you don't think that maybe since the other pov is is the wife's pov you think maybe she's gonna be thinking about killing him too i mean i don't want to give anything away hank but uh that's uh, that's <laughs> certainly gonna be a possibility at some point for sure um Brad, you know, we we've talked a lot about your back catalog and 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 books that you have written uh, in the past with the, the Carter Ross series, a, a very, very well-loved series with a character that people really love. Um, you've been writing standalones uh, lately, but something happened uh, last year um, with interference that that you you pivoted slightly uh, in your uh subject matter in in the uh, the types of thrillers that you wrote it's still the same um you know brad parks uh, edge of your seat thriller but the the subject matter pivoted just a little bit um and and you know for those of you i'll, I'll put links to last year's uh, show where we talked about interference uh, but then in in unthinkable you're um plumbing the depths even further and and taking um you know the these these ideas and the the sort of sp uh, bringing a bit of speculative fiction right. into your thriller writing um can it, was that a conscious effort would you know um and it's it's kind of funny you know because we we are as human beings we are interested in lots and lots of things and it's it's really crazy when we start pigeonholing a, a writer and and think you know well you can only write this well when when that person has many 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 interests, um, I, I guess what brought about that slight pivot and uh, and and as a writer who has built a brand and you know air quotes here around brand, um, how do you start uh, you know, navigating those publishing waters when you want to change things up a bit? 
Right. So first of all, speculative is the perfect word, and, and that's the word I, I, I definitely like to use. Uh, that people have, have, have misapplied certain words you know, where they say, well, is it is it paranormal? It's like, no, 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 please don't use the word paranormal because people will start to think there's like ghosts or zombies or something like that. Right. Um, but, uh, but you, you know, all you, of a sudden become the vampire. Um, right. <laughs> uh, but you romance. Asked, no. uh, whether it was conscious, I, I assure you that, you know, for as clunky as my prose may be now and then, I, I did not write any of this while unconscious. Uh, this was all, you know, very much conscious. But, you know, I, I think it, it, it comes out of my desire to really test my characters, right? I, I want to see, I want to put them under the most extreme circumstances, and I want to see how they respond to that duress. I mean, I think that's, you know, if there's a unifying theme to my books, even as I've admittedly meandered a little bit, uh, you know, in, in terms of tone or approach or whatnot, it is that I am taking very ordinary people, uh, people who I always say are the kind of people you could meet at the grocery store. You know, they're they're not people who can break your jaw by looking at it. That they cannot hack a computer with their toes. They have no special skills that any of us don't already have. And you take those people, and then you see what happens when you, in this case, give them an absolutely impossible choice. You know, so Nate Lovejoy is is presented with this scenario where it's either a billion people will die or you kill your own wife. And how do you how do you decide between those two things? How what what do you do? And I'm just I'm fascinated to see what characters will do when I put them in that kind of a circumstance. You know, and and as for the for the brand and and what it does for the publishing and whatnot, you know, I really kind of have faith that most readers that I've come across are every bit as uh, flexible as readers as I am as a writer, you know, and, and they, they have multiple interests as readers, uh, you know, in the same way that I have, yes, obviously followed some, some very different, uh, you know, kind of, you know, I've, I've written about everything from gun smuggling to drug running to the social service system to, yeah, now a, a character who can see the future. Uh, to, to quantum physics, to you know, like so, yeah, I have I have a diversity of interests, but but so do readers, and I, I have I have found that mostly what they want is to be entertained with a great story, and hopefully, if, if there's a unifying theme to all my work, hopefully, I'm giving them that every single time. And one one fun thing about uh, quantum physics, as you brought up, is that um, is that you can it can be perceived as paranormal um it can be perceived as science fiction and and it does all of those things um right. you know when when it's one of these topics that the more you dig into it the more confused you get and right. um, <laughs> and actually that's a sign that you actually understand it hank right you, exactly. the more confused you get it means you're getting it and yeah there there are just some some wonderful mind bending aspects of it that i yes that i've returned to in some ways for a second straight book and it really was because while i was researching interference i i came across this little nugget that made me go huh which was that the laws of physics work whether you run them forwards or backwards right they, they show no special preference for whether time is moving ahead or time is moving back and furthermore there's a theory out there that has never been confirmed but it's also never been disproven that this little elemental particle called a positron actually might be an electron moving backwards in time 
so that we are actually constantly being bombarded by matter that is coming at us from the future. And I was just, I was fascinated by that idea. Uh, and that is, you know, really part of the germ of what gets Nate Lovejoy into this awful situation, because the reason why there's a person who knows that a billion people could die if he doesn't kill his wife is because it's a person who is aware of that matter coming from the future, who can, in essence, see, if you will, in a limited sense, what will happen. And I just, I love that idea and I love being able to spend a few hundred pages playing with it. So was that the first idea that came to you? Um, <laughs> no. Was it, uh, or, no, you it know? Really, it, it really actually began, and, and Hank, you know this well, you know, with thrillers, what makes a thriller go is stakes, right? Sure, What's at sure. stake? What, what does the character stand to gain? What do they stand to lose? And I really just wanted to start with the most explosive, mind-blowing stakes I could come up with. And I started thinking about like, so what's the worst thing I could ever ask a character or ask myself to do? And it actually, ironically, it turns out, I love my wife very much, Hank. And so the worst thing I could possibly think of was a character who had to kill the wife that he loved very much. And I started with that, like, okay, can I put somebody in a plausible circumstance where they might have to actually kill their own wife? And I explored it from there. That that's that's got to be so much fun to, to take <laughs> the, to take those our, high our, stakes. Yeah, and, yeah our, and our wives put, are, are, are shaking their heads right now. But yes. well, <laughs> of course, of course. But you know, to 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 take these stakes and these decisions that you would never ever want to be faced with but put them on someone and and see what they do uh you know do do you are are you of the the camp that um you know you create a character and then give them an an impossible situation and see what they'll do or do you have a trajectory for the characters laid out of head uh, laid out ahead of time and then figure out how to take them on that journey you know it's a subtle difference but it is a difference Every time I try to give a character a trajectory, Hank, they have other ideas about it. Uh, you know, and I, I really, I have, I have come to trust in my characters and believe that if, if I know who they are and I let them act organically, it will actually work out better than if I try to force something. And, and oftentimes, even down to the nitty gritty level of writing a scene, I often find that when I'm writing a scene and it's not working and I, you know, I'm very stubborn. So I keep at it and still not working and it's still not working. And eventually I stop and go, what the hell is going on here? Why am I not a half bad writer? Why can't I make this scene work? Inevitably, it's because I'm trying to make a character do something they don't want to do. So I've, I've really learned the wisdom over the years of listening to the characters and trusting them. Uh, and in, in this case, actually, the, the, the twist that's about two thirds of the way through Unthinkable that I just love, this is you know the twist that I've been hoping my readers could get their hands on for a year and a half, came out of character. It came out of me asking, gosh, why does this character, why is he or she acting this way? And I obviously I don't want to give too much away, but, and I kept, it, it almost became like a problem I had to solve. Like, why, why is the character doing this? And then I went, oh my gosh, I know why they're doing that. It's because of X, right? And if I hadn't been listening to the characters and I hadn't been thinking through the situations I had put them in and then thinking about how would they naturally react, I never would have had that twist. 
Uh, so that's why for me, yeah, it, it ultimately comes down to uh, almost like putting my own ego aside and letting the character be the boss and then following the character. Looking for a tool to help you visualize your story before the drafting begins? PlotPins is cloud-based and optimized for any device. There's nothing to download. From the new writer who isn't sure how to tell their story to the veteran who can increase their productivity dramatically, we've had experienced writers lay out a detailed structure for several novels in a series in a matter of a few days. The app takes you through four steps of the process, the concept or logline. Make sure you have a solid concept that you can keep coming back to throughout the process. The outline, 12 beats and three acts, each has a description of what should be happening with examples. The board, 40 cards. We take the 12 beats and add sub-beats to those, breaking it down even further and being very specific about what should go into each. These also have examples and descriptions. Right. We take those 40 cards and turn them into a to-do list. For a 50,000 word book, it's about two cards per chapter roughly. We have a beautiful editor built into the app. You can export your manuscript to a PDF anytime with the click of a button. Let PlotPins help you visualize your writing project. Use code HANK10 to get 10% off PlotPins. PlotPins.com Authors, I have a fantastic new service to tell you about. It's called PubSite. PubSite is a service to help you build your very own website, your home on the web, where you can promote your work and give your fans a place to connect with you. PubSite is a website platform that allows every author, regardless of budget, to have a great-looking professional website. Developed by the book marketing professionals at FSB Associates, PubSite is the new easy-to-use DIY website builder developed specifically for books and authors. Whether you're an author of one book or 20, or a small publisher, PubSite allows you to build, design, and most importantly, update your website pain-free. No need to be dependent on a designer or webmaster to make a small but costly change to your website. Save the money and do it yourself. PubSite is the best platform for authors because it's a book-centric platform. PubSite was built just for authors and small publishers. Every design, feature, and layout is book-centric. They have customized designs for you to use. It's easy to build. No coding or HTML is necessary to create a stunning, professional-looking website with all the features you want. Get a custom domain name, yourname.com. It's simple to update. You can add all of your books, add a blog and a book tour, sell from any retailer, manage your email list and social media, and even do e-commerce. Build your website with a 14-day free trial, then pay just $19.99 per month, which includes hosting. And we offer packages starting at $499 to set up the website for you. Pub-Site.com, the place to help authors find their home on the web. I completely understand what you're saying, Brad. Um, you think I'm crazy. But, I know, but yes, well, no, at least no. you understand. Well, <laughs> well, writing, having conversations about writing uh, might be the only time where you can legitimately say, I just do what the voices tell me to do. Right. <laughs> and people don't want to institutionalize you. 
I can remember when I, I used to be a journalist, a very serious-minded journalist. You know, everything had to be double-sourced and whatnot. And every now and then, I would I would find myself at a conference where there would be some fiction writers. And I would, you know, I always had this notion of maybe someday I'll, I'll dabble in fiction. And so I would sit in and they, they would prop up some, you know, esteemed person of letters, you know, the, the kind with the, the elbow patches on the jacket or the oh, yeah. whatever, whatever. And they would say, oh, great esteemed person of letters. How do you know what happens next? And the person would always reply, well, my characters tell me where the story is going to go. And I would always think to myself, like, yeah. Do your characters tell you you're a nut job? Because that's what you sound like right now. Uh, but then, yeah, I started I started writing fiction, and, and lo and behold, that's what really began happening. I actually, I do seriously have conversations with my characters in my head. I like, and, and I think the, the mark of an author, of course, is you have this large fictional world happening in your head where you can set the characters up and see what they're gonna do. And uh, yeah, they they tell me if I listen carefully enough. And um, I, I have some some great talks now. Obviously, the, the the talks have changed, and this is one of the the fun, exciting things of when you're working in a, on a series versus you're you're working in a standalone. You know, in a series, there is always the character or characters who are safe, right? So if I if I am to gather the the characters in my series in a room, and I I give them the bad news, Hank, I say, okay, I'm sorry, guys. We're about 40,000 words into this novel. I, I, I worry the reader is getting a little too comfortable. One of you is gonna have to die right now, right? Well, in a series, you know, uh, Carter Ross, the protagonist, he knows he's okay. And, and probably Carter's girlfriend, I'm, I'm not gonna kill her off. And, uh, and, and Carter's favorite fellow reporter, Tommy Hernandez, he's safe because he's like half of my reader's favorite characters. So there's only a certain universe of people who I'm legitimately gonna kill versus in a standalone, nobody is safe. Because you know what? I don't need to keep any one of you people alive for the next book. So I'm gonna do what I have to do. And that's always fun, but it does, uh, returning to where we began, it does involve actually talking to these imaginary people that only exist in my head. And and isn't that fascinating that, well, one, um, that we keep buying uh, books about series characters knowing that nothing ultimately terrible is going to happen to them. They, right, they right. may go through some tragedy, right. but it's usually tragedy that's inflicted upon them uh that deals with their relationship with someone else, not necessarily to them, not saying that's not horrible and, and, you know, just as oh, bad, sure. but, um, but you can't take but, off the character's leg. If, if they're going to be a, uh, a, a gumshoe reporter who has to be walking the streets all the time. Well, I guess exactly. actually maybe you could, they, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yes, yeah, there, yeah, there yeah, are yeah, limits to what you, to the abuse you can heap on them. Sure. But did you feel, um, a, a subtle shift, um, you know, when when you're writing the Carter Ross series, you know, when people picked up the fraud and then, you know, maybe the player, the good cop and and they start becoming fans of right. of Carter Ross. And, you know, well, what whichever whatever the new Carter Ross book is, I'm going to pick it up. And then there comes a point where you start writing standalones and people and, and probably while you're writing Carter Ross as well. But people become Brad Parks fans. And and they start um, they get to the point where it doesn't matter what Brad Parks writes next year. I'm going to buy it because I trust Brad Parks, not just this world that he created that that sits over here, 
but wherever Brad goes, I'll go with him. Do, do you feel a subtle shift when, when uh, you know, you've built enough trust with readers that they'll follow you anywhere? Well, that's the hope, certainly. And and Hank, luckily, I've found at least 28 or 29 people who will do that for me. Uh, so I, I still have a nice career. But, um, you know, I, I think that as here I react as a reader, that's the kind of faith I put in some of my favorite authors, right? Like I know whether Harlan Coben is writing a standalone or a series. I'm, I'm you know, and I think it, it really boils down to voice. Right. Harlan has that wonderful, inimitable voice. And, and, and no matter what character he is, he's taking on and you almost think of it as uh, like an actor who's playing a certain role. Right. But I still know, oh, there's Harlan Coben being that person or, you know, there's Lisa Gardner doing that or there's Megan Abbott doing that or there's Hillary Davidson doing that. or You know, wh- whoever the, the, the author is, I yeah, you, you come to just love the voice. Um, and so ultimately, I yeah, I, I hope that's what people are ultimately buying and, and getting into because, of course, I only have one voice and ultimately it's the one thing that no matter if I'm writing about quantum physics or I'm writing about drug smuggling, it's the one thing I can't change. So, I, yes, I, I certainly hope that they they dig what they're hearing, if you will. Unthinkable is published by Thomas and Mercer and, um, you know, one of the one of the most innovative publishers right now and and you know thomas mercer is owned by amazon so they they have this you know uh built-in track with readers um but how many books is this for thomas and mercer that you've published so this is my second one with them so i'm just i'm still i'm still new still learning yeah um how what has your relationship been with uh like with thomas and mercer um you know, and then how do they, you know, do you tell them what you're going to publish uh, upcoming next? Do you have a, have you developed a, a relationship with, with the editors? What, what's it like working with a, with a new publisher? Uh, you know, so they're, they're my third publisher. So it's not, it's not like it's my first time kind of uh, changing horses, if you will. Not, not that I'm, oh man, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have called any of my editors horses, but you know what I'm saying, Hank. Um, <laughs> At least you didn't call them horses asses. <laughs> That's yeah, that's behind closed doors. Uh, you know, I, you know, there's always that back and forth, right? Where I say, okay, this is what I'm thinking of next, and I will write a synopsis. Uh, I always joke that the synopsis is the biggest piece of fiction I'll write in a given year, and then they kind of look at the synopsis and they say, okay, yeah, we we think we like that. We think that has promise. We think that kind of fits in what you do, and so go for it. Um, but you know, so far, you know, Amazon has has been. I mean, Thomas and Mercer has been great. Uh, they they really, in, in a funny way, that you know, here's here's this company that they're part of that is a valuation. Last time I looked, of about 1.5 trillion dollars, trillion, and they have 800,000 employees. You know, which is a staggering, mind-boggling number. And yet, they really kind of act a bit like a small press in 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 ways in like in, in terms of the attention they give their authors in terms of the the closeness i feel with the people there I, you know i feel like i get a lot of attention and and it's actually it's it's funny they they will uh, and I, I don't mean to be telling stories out of school but they have actually a limited amount of things they're allowed to do within the amazon universe where they can't actually leverage the full power of this thing much to my frustration believe me because i'm like hey <laughs> You're Amazon. You have the email address of 250 million customers in this country. Why not send all of them an email about my book? 
And it's like, uh, no, Brad, I'm sorry, we can't do that. Uh, you know, or the, you know, the you know the other famous thing is the algorithm, the, the mysterious Amazon algorithm, right? Which you know de determines fates of those large and small. And you say, well, you know, the algorithm is this. Could you? Could you twist the algorithm for me? No, Brad, I'm sorry, we can't do that. You know, can I can I take the algorithm out to lunch and have a conversation with the algorithm about my next, uh, I'm sorry, Brad, we can't do that. You know, so there's a lot of actual um, limitations there. So for as, for as much as people think, oh, now, now you're being published by the big bad bully on the block, uh, you know, they, they are, they do in fact operate a lot like traditional publishers in yeah. a lot of ways for for as innovative as they are and, and you know and, and the one thing about thomas and mercer that's that's kind of fun and um and i'm and i'm you always kind of feel like you're hanging on you know the rule at thomas and mercer is that 18 months from now the rules will all be different right, right? so they for a while were actually you know doing very well with series you know they had like a you know bob Dagoni and melinda lee and they were they were knocking it out of the park with these series and then at some point yeah the the data the algorithm whatever switched and they said we don't want series anymore we want standalones so i actually i wrote unthinkable with the thought in mind of this could be the start of a great series because you know you have a character who can see the future and who is looking to avert disasters, large scale human disasters. And that seems like a great thriller setup to me to do all sorts of different things, you know, whether it's a, a tsunami coming or a volcano erupting or a mass shooting about to happen. I mean, you know, you could you could spin this in a million different directions. This is a series that will never end. Won't this be great? And instead, Amazon said, yeah, no, we're, we're not really into starting new series right now. So that was a nice standalone. Now give us something else. So, you know, they they keep you they keep you on your toes. That's for sure. For sure. Um, with Unthinkable, you get to to take a, a a subject matter that that there's been lots uh, written about and and that's time travel um but but talk about it in um in a very plausible um scientific way and 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 time travel I'm I'm I I hesitate to use that uh because right. it 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 you know um Pick up the book and read it, people. You'll you'll know exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, um, sounds, I'm, I'm, it sounds crazy when we talk. I know. About I'm, it, right? I'm I'm and I'm dancing around trying to choose my you know how I talk about things carefully. Um, but one thing when you when you start, you know, one of the um the great hallmarks of a time travel story is, um, we start talking about the butterfly effect and how, right. um, if you change something, it inevitably will change the future. And what is the fallout of all of these? interconnected things that that we just can't fathom that will inevitably change um did you start thinking about you know how how you deal with this conundrum yeah i mean obviously that's kind of just the fun of this kind of premise uh it, you know it allows you to chase it and and you know the, the, you're you find yourself having put putting conversations in the characters mouths that are like the conversations you had with your college friends at two o'clock in the morning over cold pizza, right? As you're, you're as you're first grappling with these things, and you know you never really necessarily get answers, but aren't they just fun to grapple with? Um, and and I love I love being able to do that. And and you don't obviously want to spend too long on it. This is not a, a 
a philosophical tomb or anything like that. It's ultimately a thriller. But I, I just I love those little droplets of brain candy that you get to put in a book like that, because uh, I always find them rewarding. And I, and I think readers do, too. How did Marcus Seiki, um wind up in your book? <laughs> so um, Marcus is a is a friend of mine. You wouldn't know this uh, necessarily from reading the book. And uh, he and I will actually kind of bounce ideas off of each other now and then. And he read. Or actually, I think I, we, no, he didn't actually read this one, but but I did talk to him about this idea kind of very early on in the process because it was a it was a very big, very Marcus Seiki e if I can turn him into an adjective sure. idea, uh, and so he really did, kind of did help me with the the, the the consideration of the characters and how was I going to unfurl this, and we had a good time kicking it around, and so I thanked him the only way a thriller author knows how, which is I made him a character in the book and turned him into a stumbling drunk who gets killed. It sounds like the, the perfect hat tip to me. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's gratitude. It's the, it's the only kind of gratitude I know. <laughs> oh man. Well, well, Brad, um, I know that, you know, be, the way that the publishing industry works and that the way timelines for publishing works, um, you are, probably uh it, in the editing phase of of next year's book if i had to guess um how are you able to go back to your favorite hardies yet so i have not yet hank i i just i I've, I've been feeling like i i want to see the case counts go down and then they never quite go down low enough cuz bear in mind hank i go to hardies and i spend 4 hours there so, you know, if God forbid I was carrying this thing around, I would be spewing out enough virus in those four hours to get every single person in the whole restaurant sick. And I just I wouldn't I don't need that on my head. Uh, I probably do enough horrible things in this life uh, with, without doing that. So I have I have remained cautious. Um, I, I have found kind of other places to write. Uh, I, you know, I've, I've actually God forbid I've had to be flexible, Hank, in how I write. <laughs> Uh, which has been awful. I've I've had to write at home, which is also terrible. Uh, you know, I've I've discovered I'm actually capable of things I did not think I was capable of. But but I I really do. I urge everyone in America, Hank, to get vaccinated so that I can return to Hardee's. It's all about me, ultimately, Hank. So please, oh, yes, people, the vaccine works. There are 160 million of us who have proven it so far. Please get the vaccine so we can finally make this dumb pandemic get over with. I think everyone can uh, can agree with you. We're just ready for this to be over, for sure. Um, Unthinkable is this your eleventh novel? It is my eleventh. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's that's fantastic. Um, can you give us any hint to what's coming up next? I uh, not really because I, it it hasn't been through editing yet, and I don't even have a title. Um, so, uh, but but I guess I can I can give you a, like a, a small hint. Uh, it is about a woman who finds herself trapped on an island with a brand new and heretofore species of hominin. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong, Hank? Did, what did you go just wrong? go? Did you just go Bigfoot on us? I, I a little bit, a little bit, something like that. Uh, and so it's actually she's on she's on the island with. Uh, uh, with four trained killers and a completely unknown species of hominin. So it's Good. it's a little like, you know, uh, maybe lost meets 
National Geographic, something like that. Uh, but it, it should be a lot of fun. I can't wait that you you told me just enough that that um, I'm I'm clearing a, sh- a a spot on my bookshelf right now for the. Well, for I'm I'm glad, and to, yeah, to end where we begin, uh, that hopefully that means you will be uh, up for more punishment about this time next year. As always, as always, can't wait to see what comes next. Unthinkable is available everywhere now. When you're hearing this, you can go grab it, uh, visit your local bookstore, and let's support local book business. Uh, and get the machine running again. Uh, it, but if you prefer to order from Amazon, there's links to it in the show notes. Uh, the audiobook is also available. Have you heard the audiobook yet, Brad? I have. I, I try not to listen to the audio too much because uh, it, it always sounds different than I than what I think it sounds. But then I also know the actors who read it do a wonderful job. So one one fun thing is for this book, they have a man reading the the Nate chapters and they have a woman reading the Jenny chapters. And I, I actually I love the way that the Nate guy really captured Nate and the Jenny woman really captured Jenny. So and I, and I love that kind of the way they play off each other. So I did I did very much enjoy that part. There'll be a link uh, in the show notes where you can grab it from Audible as well. Uh, Brad, tell people where they can find you online if they want to dig into all the the great stuff that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So my website is www.bradparksbooks.com, or you can just Google Brad Parks. Uh, You can find me on, on Facebook at Brad Parks Books and on Twitter at Brad underscore Parks. Uh, and and possibly Instagram at Brad Parks Author, but I still actually haven't figured out Instagram yet. So maybe hold off on give me a little more time on the Instagram, and I'll, I'll get there eventually. Unthinkable, available everywhere now. Go grab it today, Brad. Thank you so much as always for uh, coming back on the show and spending yeah, Hank, some time great, with us. Great talking to you as always. Wargate Books presents Hit. And Fade, Forgotten Ruin, Book Two, by Jason Onspach and Nick Cole. Narrated for you by Christopher Ryan Grant. Chapter One. The army of the dead walked straight into our ambush east of Fortress Hawthorne. That's what the fob is called now, Fortress Hawthorne. Despite it being officially known as Forward Operating Base Hawthorne, as was originally intended when the 50 detachments of various special operations groups came forward through time from Area 51. A one-way mission to save Western civilization from a rampaging nanoplague, destroying the very fabric of said civilization. Apparently, we overshot the temporal insertion point and stuck the landing. Sorta. About 10,000 years too late. Said civilization is now basically something straight out of Tolkien, or Dungeons and Dragons, which we've all now gotten a lot more familiar with thanks to our resident expert and fledgling hedge wizard, the infamous P.F.C. Kennedy. But the Rangers just call it the FOB. The first of our explosives to ruin the leading elements of the Army of the Dead advancing on us Claymore mines the recaptured forge back at Hawthorne had cranked out in the weeks after we'd retaken it from King Triton, were fired by Ranger Sergeant Kang down there with the scouts and Captain Knifehand's assaulters. 
It was close to midnight when the front rank of bony warriors, carrying rotting shields and spears, eyes glowing malevolently in the deep night mist, advanced into our ambush, only to get ruined by the daisy-chained claymores' sudden eruption. Above us, a cloud-shrouded moon cast a wan yellow light over the battlefield. The night was hot, and spring was coming on full now. The pilots who'd gotten us here in the grounded C-17 back at Ranger Alamo, using their meteorology skills, had guessed it was going to be a long, hot summer ahead of us, and an early one at that. But there was a cold shiver in the dark on your exposed skin that you couldn't quite explain when you saw the dead advancing rank after rank. The bone warriors carrying spear and shield, other darker creatures barely seen. The lower areas of the earth were graveyard cool and misty, so maybe that was it. Still, the brutal, unrelenting cold of our almost last stand back at Ranger Alamo was gone now. But not the horrors. There wasn't a night that some ranger didn't wake up out of a tormented sleep, breathing heavy, sidearms scanning the dark and looking for orcs and ogres to ventilate. I was sweating in the hour leading up to the attack, despite the night and the mist. Kurtz had us humping hard to get the 240 and all its ammo up to the top of a small hill that overlooked the area where we'd channel the advancing echelons of the Army of the Dead into further fun and games the rangers had planned at a bend in a riverbed. If the approaching Army of the Dead continued on their current course track, they'd enter it for a brief period. It was decided by the captain we'd kill them there and I was sweating. Not because of fear, no, not at all. Firing, whispered Sergeant Kang over the comm as he detonated the mines, and eight daisy-chained claymores spat thousands of steel balls all across the front line of what even I was still finding it hard to believe I was seeing through my night vision device. Skeletons. Warrior skeletons. Ancient warriors like something out of the Bronze or Iron Ages. Worked breastplates of molded plate or rotting scales. Green and tarnished, stamped with the markings of fabled armies fallen in battles long, long ago. Leather cuirasses on some. Rotting boots. Helms with broken horns, missing teeth, tattered leather kilts. Beads and charms dangling from bone wrists. Enigmatic holy signs and primal torques black with grave dirt or from a funeral pyre long ago on some forgotten battlefield far from here, draped about the spine where the throat should be. Where it rises to connect to a bone-white skull that seems filled with malevolent purpose and diabolical intelligence. Malignantly so. Walking skeletons like something out of a Ray Harryhausen clay model Sinbad epic from the 1960s. Above, the sliver of moon gave enough light to strengthen our NVGs, making the night vision devices perform exceptionally well as we sprang our trap and watched the advancing elements get rocked by our initial high-explosive opening bid 
in the game we were about to play. The air was still and hot in the moments before the fight began as we lay there in the tall, sharp grass, waiting for it all to go down. I was thinking a hot cup of coffee would be nice about now, except my canteen only had cold coffee I'd brewed during the long, silent, and windy afternoon of preparation. Still, I was happy knowing I had some, rather than none. Authors, if you're looking for a partner to help ensure that your book is the best it can possibly be, look no farther than Pico's House. Crystal and her staff make a conscious effort to be critical, yet courteous. They also strive to make the business side of things run smoothly so that you can rest easy knowing that your manuscript is in capable hands. Whether you need beta reading, developmental editing, a manuscript critique, line editing, copy editing, or proofreading, Pico's House is the one-stop shop for you. Check them out today at picoshouse.com to get started.